The early entry withdrawal date has passed for the NBA draft for college players, which means there were a lot of surprise, uh, you know, additions into the draft, uh, players that did not withdraw, and there were surprises in who did withdraw. Leaf and I are going to talk about what we were shocked by, how this impacts the draft, and who we liked the decision of, and did we like anybody staying in or not with, or excuse me, or withdrawing? Did we dislike any of that? Coming up on Locked On NBA Big Board. You are Locked On NBA Big Board, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up? This is Richard Stamen and Leaf Tulin filling in for Rafael Barlow as part of the Locked On NBA Big Board. Thank you so much to every single one of you that makes us your first listen of the day every single day. It means a ton to us, whether you're listening on your audio platform, just audio, whether it's Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, and it is free everywhere. We are not paywalled, anything like that. Or if you are on YouTube watching us, uh, you'll see some changes in my background in the future going forward. So if you missed these uh, very generic blinds and curtains, I'm sorry to say they'll be gone after this one. But I am joined by Leaf Tuline. Today is an absolutely big day. We are recording hours, technically, after the NBA's early withdrawal date on May 31st. It is June 1st. We now know every NCAA player that will and will not be in this draft. Leaf, let's talk about it. How how surprised were you just in general? What were you feeling about the withdrawal date? I think most of it was straightforward, and then a bombshell hit about 10 minutes before the deadline, and that's when Dylan Mitchell said he was going back to Texas. That was one where you saw him play at the combine. He hit a three, then he hit an in-and-out jump crossover jump shot. Uh, we talked to him uh, at media day when we were in attendance at the combine, and by all indications, his shot was getting better. There was no way that teams were, were not going to like the character after speaking with him, and he decided to go back to Texas and bet on himself. Uh, I'd say the rest of them, I was pretty optimistic that I'd have the right answer on of if they were coming back or not. I think Trey Alexander and Reese Beekman were two that I thought could have stayed in, but I was hearing on Twitter and and through different sources that they were uh, planning to return. So I wasn't shocked just because I'd heard from other people, but those were the only two that I thought had the had the possibility of succeeding had they stayed in and chose not to. Yeah, let's let's just talk about Dylan Mitchell for a second. You touched on it. We got to talk to him at the Combine. For those who don't know, Leaf, I, myself, I mean, and Raphael, we were all at the Combine together. And Leaf and I went down to the media session after Dylan Mitchell's game, and we talked to him. And for me personally, I, I don't think I was actually there for when you talked to him. But for myself personally, I was just blown away. I talked to him, kind of asked him a tough question. I don't remember the specifics, but just kind of what the process has been like, what he's been changing. Because, I mean, we were, I was up front with him. I was like, I mean, you know, you, you didn't perform to your expectations. And it wasn't like calling him a, you know, a bust or anything. I didn't say anything like that. I was very respectful. But of saying, hey, like, what are you doing in your offseason? Like, what is your work ethic like? Show me, tell me what that's like, quantify it, right? And he did such a good job of that. He was very mature. He was very self-aware. I think that stuff is absolutely key. And I think for me, I love the decision that he returned because for every year we get somebody, and the jury's still out on a few of these guys like Greg Brown or Peyton Watson, who they did not they did not perform well in college. I mean, Peyton Watson had the worst draftable stats of anybody this century. So like, and he was a first round pick, it worked for him. But at the same time, he really didn't like by his play live up to his standards. And same with Greg Brown. But Dylan Mitchell, 
was mature and said, Hey, I can do better. I'm going to prove I can do better. And I'm going to come back stronger than ever. So I actually really think he made the right decision. He's also ESPN just going off of theirs. He's not my top guy that returned, but on ESPN's, he was the top guy. So good job on choosing him to start with. Uh, I know you also mentioned Reese Beekman. He was the second one on ESPN's ranking that had chosen to return to school. I was a little bit shocked by this, but at the same time, I think just to kind of paint the picture in advance with this, with this class being a very strong class and next year's looking a lot weaker. A lot of these guys who are second round picks who not all of them are guaranteed to get drafted. I mean, even Dylan Mitchell and Reese Beekman, both guys in ESPN's top 45, they're still fringe draftable for a lot of teams. So in next year's class, if they do what they did this year, plus improve on it or just really improve more for Dylan Mitchell, you know, I think they are looking at safely being drafted. So talk to me about your big Virginia guy. Talk to me about why Reese Beekman made the right or wrong decision. Yeah, I, I think Reese actually improved his stock during the week at the combine. I thought he was one of the better players throughout both the scrimmages. And I don't think he hurt himself at the pro day showing his athleticism. But the reason I think he may have helped himself is one, I think Virginia offered him more NIL money. So that sweetened the deal to go back. And now he can say, you know what? I'm the sole point guard. Kihei Clark has been a stalwart at the program for five years, but now it's my show to run. And even though he was the main ball handler last year, it's it's entirely his show to run. They've built uh, the program around shooting this year with Isaac McNeely and Andrew Rohde coming in. And so I think Beekman's going to, instead of scoring 10 a game and being the best player on the team, I think he's going to score 16, 17 a game and be the best player on the team. And that matters to, to teams, even though the role um, it, that he played at Virginia – prior was probably more similar to what he played in the NBA. You can at least see what he's capable of. Uh, maybe like Trey Jones did at Duke his sophomore year after playing as like an afterthought with Zion and RJ, and he came back and won ACC player of the year. I wouldn't be surprised if Reese Beekman's a contender for that type of award. So I would say he can help his stock um, shooting something. I think he'll want to get better, but I think he'll likely play more pick and roll now that Kihei Clark's gone. I think he'll likely get into the paint and score more. I also think Beekman had a phenomenal start the year, hurt his hamstring and slowed him down a little bit. So if he's healthy, that could be beneficial. And one thought on Dylan Mitchell, I, I had a similar thought when interviewing him. Uh, I asked him, you know, your team had Final Four aspirations and you didn't shoot any threes. How have you worked on your shot? Because you know that's the question that you're going to get as like, can you shoot? And he goes, look, I like I didn't shoot well. But it's because I didn't shoot them. I was such a like I was a team player um, because our team was trying to win. Like we had to win. Not only were we trying to win, we had dysfunction. Chris Beard has these allegations. We have a new coach who's playing for his job. So it's probably best for me not to shoot these threes with when you have twenty-five-year-old guards in your backcourt. And I'm being slightly hyperbolic, but only slightly. And. Uh, I mean, he he answered it and he said, look, I worked on my shot. I'm not refining that much. I'm just getting repetitions, which is something that's rare for, for me that I wasn't getting at Texas. So it's, it's really helping. So I actually had him number 31 on my board last night. And so I took him off as soon as he, he, he returned to school. But that's a first round grade. And, and I think I think he'll likely move his stock up. The only concern I'll have is say he shoots a lot of threes next year trying to improve his stock, like say, hey, look, guys, I've reworked this. It's hard to just become a good shooter. I mean, Texas is still going to be a good team. So I wonder if people are going to hold that against him. But I, I think he's a first-round pick had he stayed in. I think he's going to be a first-round pick next year. 
Yeah, I, I don't know if he's going to be a first-round pick, but he can at least easily return that value, right? I mean, I had him in the 50s. I think the the ROI on him is just going to be very simple to see. You get a defensive first guard who can shoot the ball, who can facilitate, he's intelligent, mistake-free, doesn't have the greatest size, but, I mean, he he just plays good defense, and I feel like it's pretty translatable too. So I really like him. I think he made ultimately the right decision. Um, and it sounds like you think that as well. Plus, he got more money, honestly, than he probably would have. One more guy let's talk about. ESPN had him as the fifth-ranked returning guy. I'm curious what you think. I think this was the biggest shock of the night, and this was Deron Holmes returning. I, I thought he was going to be someone who gets first-round looks. He's early second, late first, and he's returning. He's going to play his junior year at Dayton. We got to see uh, him warming up a little bit at the Combine as well before his pro day. Haven't seen a bunch of him in Chicago. Didn't get to see a bunch of him in Chicago, I should say. But curious what you thought of that decision real fast. And, uh, and you know, did he make the right or wrong decision? I think he made the right decision. I, I thought he had a poor showing in Chicago compared to a lot of these guys that we're talking about because, I mean, his his appeal is that he's a big man who can defend and he can shoot. And he didn't shoot well, like his form looked poor and his athleticism didn't pop next to other athletes that have the same aspirations as he does. So I think going back to Dayton, refining some of those skills, working on the athleticism is probably a good thing because if evaluators saw him like me, I, I had to move down my board. At one point, I think entering the year, I had him about 20 on my board before the season started. And I think before last night when I took him off, I was he was about 50. So I, he he was one of the guys that slid ba- based off a relatively poor year and then didn't impress me at the combine with any measurables. Like someone like Coleman Hawkins did more for my eyes at the combine. He also returned to school than did Daron Holmes. Um, so even though he came in with fairly high levels of praise coming into the season and he still had decent levels of praise around the combine, I think he made the right decision because he didn't impress in either situation. Yeah, and I wonder how much of it will stem from jump shooting, right? Where, I mean, he took, in his first two years, 26 threes. He shot 31% last year from three on 19 attempts, so it's not a real sample size. Free throw percentage was underwhelming, 67%, but at the same time, he he improved by almost 10% on one and a half times the volume or so, maybe almost two times. And um, I I think that's going to be, maybe the feedback was poor about his jump shot. Maybe they thought, you know, Hey, if he's not going to be a jump shooter, we don't know if we can invest this high of a pick and maybe just the expectations of feedback and the feedback they actually got didn't match. That's that's my guess. Um, he's interesting. And I feel like we're going to talk about that a lot in some of these other guys that were that we're previewing, especially some of the other big men. But we'll get to that in just a minute. But first, let me tell you about FanDuel. You want to make a fast break to FanDuel during the NBA Finals because right now, new customers can get a no-sweat first bet up to $2,500. That's $2,500 back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. I've used FanDuel in the past for, I mean, I use it for like fantasy football. Um, And what I love about it, honestly, they have great promotions. It's very easy to use. It's safe and secure, and you get paid very quickly and instantly. So, I, I like a lot on it. I think you will too. There's no better place to bet on all the playoff action. And also, I mean, not even just playoffs, but obviously this is an NBA podcast. So uh, we're just talking about NBA. You can go other sports as well. Visit fanduel.com slash locked on and get a no sweat first bet up to $2,500. That's fanduel.com slash locked on. FanDuel is the official sporting 
sports betting partner of the NBA. So continuing talking about some of these guys that ended up withdrawing from the NBA draft on the withdrawal night, May 31st at midnight Eastern time. Um, let's keep going down the list. Let's change it up from some bigs though. Let's, we, I know we talked about Reese Beekman. Let's go back to those guards and wings. There's a couple of names I want to talk about. I'm not going to do every single name on here. Uh, I, I like Judah Mintz. It doesn't shock me that he's returning to school. When I, when I talked to him at the combine, he was like, man, I, I loved playing man defense. I asked him what it was like to play man defense when Syracuse, all they do is play zone. And now that Jim Beheim's gone, zone defense, that, that scheme may be non-existent. It's speculation. It's likely, though, that it's not going to be purely zone. It's a little bit outdated. Judah Mintz didn't measure super well. He measured with a square wingspan. Curious what you think, though, of Judah Mintz and what his decision was uh, going back to Syracuse. If you think it was the right decision. And mind you, they also have J.J. Starling, who's a very similar player. So curious what you think of them. Yeah, I think this is a slam dunk for him. I I, I didn't have him as a top 60 player uh, because he his best attributes are things that are hard to do unless you have the ball in your hands a lot. And if, if he's going to go to the NBA, that wasn't going to be the case. He wasn't a advanced point guard passer. He wasn't a very good shooter. So what he's good at is going to the, the hole has pretty decent handles and, and finishing near the basket, but he's also young. So his strength kind of let him down in that regard at times too. So I think, maturity both in terms of developing his passing and i think he'll be the point guard jj starling will be the two guard and then just developing his strength as they play more man defense that quells some issues that people would worry about just because by nature of the fact that he was at syracuse under Bayheim. Uh, so I, I think that was one that i'm the least shocked by uh of other returners uh, yeah, i think there, I, I there's a couple that were close but but that one i think was a slam dunk yeah, I wanted to be shocked by it, but I mean, just based on talking to him, he didn't. I feel like he didn't do enough for himself at the combine to to really return, like to stay in the draft and return that good value. Like I think he was really risking not getting drafted. Whereas, I mean, honestly, just looking at what he did last year, he was a guy who his whole narrative was, oh, he didn't really shoot well, and he still shot seventy five percent from the line. He ended up shooting thirty percent from three. And honestly, I bet if I cherry picked this enough, I could find a really good route. And actually, I can't. He went basically to start January. He barely made any threes. After that, if basketball reference wants to load for me, uh, which it appears it doesn't. But basically the final like 11 games, he actually shot a respectable three point percentage. Uh, actually, way more than respectable in the final 12 games. You know, two and a half threes a game and shot 47% from three. So there is real upside. If he can just prove, he doesn't need to shoot 47% from three. It's an unrealistic expectation. Take two to three threes a game, hit 35%, keep the free throw percentage at least at 75, preferably keep it improving, obviously. And he's somebody who I think he pops. He could be a first rounder next year, even with a square wingspan and just square length. I think his playmaking really, really pops. He's a great pick and roll creator. I think he made the right decision as well. Let's go down, keep going down the list. We're staying with guards. Trey Alexander, he's somebody who made a name for himself at the Combine. You've watched a lot more Creighton than I have. I'll be 100% honest on that. He measured super well with like a 6'10 wingspan at 6'3", 6'4". Why do you think he returned? I'm not sure. This would be, other than the fact that I heard rumors of this uh, two days prior, I would have been shocked. Like, And that was the same with Beekman. 
if you had told me blank slate and I couldn't look at Twitter at all to see, you know, rumblings of this stuff, the, it was Dylan Mitchell, Trey Alexander, and Reese Beekman, I thought for sure were going to go to the draft. It just so happened that uh, Alexander and Beekman, I heard from fairly decent, uh, fairly good sources that they were coming back. So I, I, I wasn't shocked when they announced they did. I was shocked by the decision to do so. Uh, Alexander, for those unfamiliar, is a guy who really scores the ball efficiently at all three levels. He measures well as a shooter, measures well as a finisher. I think his best area is the mid-range, and I know that's not necessarily the most appealing thing, but I think it's impressive that he's able to carve out an ability to score in multiple different areas. I saw him play twice live um, at March Madness in both games. He was good. Uh, I wonder if he wanted to go home and, and play with uh, Ryan Kalkbrenner again, who who returned. Um, but yeah, no, I, I think there was a way that he could have been picked late in the first round. Even I, I had him, uh, mid, mid second. So I think I had him top 40, I guess, but he's, he's someone that if there was a way a team could implement him to an offense and just have him shoot and defend and, and hustle that he could have carved out a role and and been a, a quality player fairly early with like not an enormous ceiling, but some upside. And that's not something you always say about a six, three guard. Um, because his length allows him to be versatile in defense and his shooting allows him to score the ball not only from the perimeter. He's able to do that from the the mid-range and at the basket. Yeah, he's somebody who is rising. I mean, I think the combine helped him a lot. Maybe it's like a springboard into next year into a weaker class. I'm kind of shocked he returned. Um, And obviously, we'll get into guys that didn't like didn't withdraw because right now we're just talking about the guys that did leave. I want to get a couple other names in here and then we'll talk about some of the guys that stayed and what we thought of that. But three names for you. We'll, we'll just do two as a bundle, but let's start with Coleman Hawkins and Terrence Shannon. They were actually back to back on ESPN's board. They both went to Illinois. What did you think of their decisions on, on returning Coleman Hawkins for those who don't know very unique big man. He's about six ten, six eleven, with a lot of guard skills He's kind of a, a point forward in a way, but not like your traditional slashing point forward, truly a passing forward. And then Terrence Shannon's kind of like a, a three and D mold with he and he measured the quickest or tested, excuse me, the quickest agility of the combine. So what do you think, Leaf? Uh I was not surprised by either of them going back. Uh I think Shannon, I've said this to you before, uh off air, and I'll say it here. I feel like his game is appealing if you see him very briefly. Like you're like, wow, this guy's really fast. He gets to the rim at a high rate and he shoots a couple threes and he makes a couple off the bounce. But the more you watch him, the more you see that he hasn't like truly adapted. Like he's become a better shooter than what he did at Texas Tech. But you could make the argument at Texas Tech they were better off when he wasn't playing. Like Kevin McCuller was less heralded at Texas Tech, who's now at Kansas. He 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 played in place of him. Uh, Adonis Arms came in, and they they I thought they played better basketball when he was off the court. As for Illinois, he made a step and he was their best scorer. Um, but at times that was the downfall of Illinois because he took too much of a responsibility to try to score the basketball. So I was never high on Shannon, but I actually really liked Coleman Hawkins. I love his defensive versatility. He can switch. He's a very very good passer. Shot poorly. That was the that was the concern. Um, someone with a pretty shot and it has the frame that you'd want them to be a stretch five with a, some point guard flair at a center position who can defend on the interior and around the, uh, the perimeter. And he showed great defensive instincts at the combine. Like I thought he was one of the best defenders there. And then, um, so that one, I could have seen him stay in, but to me, it seemed like he wanted to show 
hey, I'm going to get more more time to shine, more time with the ball if I go back to Illinois. I probably get an improved NIL deal, and our team is going to be pretty strong in the Big Ten. And if I can individually improve, then I'm going to have a better chance to be picked higher than about 45, which I think is like the ceiling of where he was going to be picked last uh, this draft. So in a weaker class, might as well take your chances, bet on yourself. So that, neither of them surprised me. I think Hawkins is the better prospect of the two. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. Um, I I had them separate as well. I have uh, I personally had <laughs> Coleman Hawkins significantly higher um, than just than Terrence Shannon. I, th- I think a lot of both what they do is theoretical, but at the same time, I mean, I I think <laughs> Coleman Hawkins at least he can shoot. The shot looks better. I th- I mean, the shot looks good. Terrence Shannon's is all theoretical because. His whole his whole thing, I mean, even this year, like here, I'll just read the four years he's been at college. 26% from three, low volume. I'm going to exclude that. At Texas Tech, the last three years, he's taken three plus uh, threes a game. 36% at Tech, 38%, 32%. And while the, fir- while the free throw percentage is there, and yeah, this is the only year he shot below 36 or 35%, I just feel like he really comes and goes. And for me, a lot of his game is theoretical. I'd like to see him prove that, hey, I'm supposed to be better than everyone else. I'm going to be better than everyone else. I want to see him compete for Big Ten Player of the Year, personally. Uh, Coleman Hawkins, I I like. I think, again, he's going to have an uptick in production just because of the talent next to him still getting better, especially having Shannon back. The assists will go up, things like that. Uh, one last guy, I don't know if you have a strong opinion on on Tristan De Silva, and he'll be the last one we talk about of players that withdrew, but... Christian De Silva is somebody I had. He was my highest ranked player that withdrew, actually. I really like him out of Colorado. I think he ultimately made the right decision, unfortunately, because, and I say unfortunately because I really wanted him to come out this year and be a guy so badly. For me, he's scouted as a 6'8 forward, which I think is just the wrong way to look at him. He's not somebody who's going to be doing a lot of different things. He can help in some areas, but to me, he's a 6'8 shooter, and you should watch him just as like if he was a shooting specialist that can provide some other areas. And for whatever reason, the scouting on him has been backwards. He's been a forward who can also shoot. But I really like Tristan De Silva. Again, I had him in my top 40, 6'8 shooter. Wasn't super healthy in the final weeks of of May. Uh, Wasn't healthy for the G League camp. Kind of healthy for his pro day. Shot really well there. Ultimately, I think all things considered. I love his shooting touch. love his shooting form, ability to shoot off movement. I think 6'8", movement shooter, he's going to get drafted easily next year. But next to Colorado, have a lot of eyes on him. I mean, they got Eddie Lampkin. They got uh, KJ Simpson's back, I believe. And they also have Cody Williams, younger brother of Jalen Williams of Oklahoma City, um, playing who's a t- who on three is number one recruit, if I'm not mistaken. So they're going to have a lot of eyes on him. Great chance for him to showcase himself and improve his stock. But uh, any thoughts on Tristan DeSilva returning to Colorado? Yeah, I think that moves Colorado into one of the prime contenders like UCLA and Arizona are typically shoe-ins. Bronny James brings all this attention to USC, but I think Colorado might have the best roster. As from the draft front, I also had him in my top 60. I think I had him about 50. Uh, Tristan De Silva's older brother, Oscar De Silva, played at Stanford. And for those of you who don't know, I've, I watched pretty much every Stanford basketball game. So I've seen plenty of the De Silva's. And I thought Tristan was significantly better than Oscar. And Oscar has made a nice living in Germany being a, pro- a very good professional basketball player. Um, he's a better athlete than than was Oscar. He's a, f- a phenomenal shooter. Oscar was very good at the free throw line. But Tristan can shoot the lights out from three. And he's got 
what I wouldn't call as like superb athleticism, but he's kind of got deceptive athleticism where he he's going to be able to be a cutter, someone who thrives off of intelligence, cut, cutting on the baseline, finishing around the rim, hitting open threes, being in the right spots defensively. So I think he's got the capacity to stick. I think he just needs to get stronger and maybe play a little more with the ball. And then with better talent this year, I think he's going to get even better shots and get to display the, the impressive shooting. Because if you were to look at him from a perspective of just as a shooter, I think there's a very real case that that of guys above six six, and I know he's about six eight. Uh, he'd be t- uh, top tier. I think he's a better shooter than Chris Murray, for instance. I, I think he and Kobe Brown are sev- similar level shooters. Kobe Brown's w- for the same role as warranting first round consideration. Hey, you're preaching to the choir. <laughs> like, I mean, I, I think I'm the highest on on Tristan De Silva. You're right there with me. I appreciate that. Let's talk about some of the guys that came back, uh, excuse me, that stayed in the draft and and came out of the draft combine with momentum. But first, let's uh, let's let a word from our sponsors get in. So welcome back to Locked On NBA Big Board again. I am Richard Stamen at Mavdraft on Twitter, joined by Leaf Tulene. Leaf, we've talked about everyone who returned. Now let's talk about some guys that stayed in. Who are some players that you were you saw were on the fence? that you saw the notification. I'm assuming you had John Rothstein's uh, updates and draft expresses, you know, their notifications on and everything like I did because I I was, I was glued to my phone yesterday. So I'm curious, who did you think was the biggest surprise and who do you think were some of the biggest winners of staying in the draft of yesterday, last night, or just really this last week of withdrawing? Yeah, I wasn't surprised by anyone who stayed in really. Uh, I think, that that recently declared, I guess there was a couple that that I was like, okay, that's peculiar. Like Charles Bediaco a couple weeks ago, I was like, okay, that's a peculiar one. Um, I would say I'll start with the bigs, and this isn't necessarily a surprise, but I think because they both performed well at the combine, this is something that helped them make this decision. Adama Sanogo and Oscar Shibway. I think both of them. I knew. I, I I will say I know for Adama Sanogo, I I was very confident he'd stay in the draft, especially after a good performance in Chicago. Oscar Shibway, I was a little less confident of just because of the enormous NIL money Kentucky can produce, but I still probably had an 80-20 feel on that one, that he was going to the draft. It seemed like that's what his aspirations were. But I think both of them helped their stocks in Chicago just by being high-motor guys that use their strength and rebounding tenacity to show, hey, even if we are undersized by height, you're not going to like outwork us and out-position uh, yourselves. And that's a huge thing in rebounding. Like Energy bigs. Are, are something that's always in, in style in some form or variation because extra possessions win games. And those type of players are, are going to be uh, coveted. I think Sonogo really helped himself in the combine with uh, showed his sh- good shooting touch. And he was really, really strong around the basket because typically if an older player starts to, you know, utilize some strength against college players, it gets swept under the rug, but he did it against the guys who had the same aspirations of being late round picks like Dayron Holmes. He, he played, you see him against uh, Shibwe. You saw him against Coleman Hawkins. You saw him against uh, Grant Nelson. All these guys, and I thought he was the best center that played. Yeah, I, I go back and forth still every day of who I like more on my board between Oscar and Sonogo. Um, I think both of them help themselves a lot. Ultimately, I think Oscar is going to be the better pro just because he's such an elite rebounder. I think he can do exactly what Andre Drummond is doing right now with Chicago off the bench doesn't need to play a lot of minutes, just get some boards. And to me, that's why he's higher. But 
I was shocked he stayed in. I really thought he was going to go back, get more NIL money. But, you know, everyone's got a time. They got to leave school. And I think uh, he timed it right. I, I think he's going to be a second-round pick, personally. I mean, I'm Mavs draft. I hope the Mavs get him. Like, he'd instantly be the best rebounder the Mavs have had in at least 10 years. I mean, since Tyson Chandler, probably even better than him as just a rebounder. So that's like, that's the praise for him. Someone I really liked that stayed in the draft. This is one of the buzzer beater calls was Jordan Walsh. I know both of us uh, got to watch him a lot. I can't remember honestly where you stand on him. So refresh me, but for myself, I think the shot's going to get there. He's still learning how to use his unbelievably long arms as somebody with very long arms. Uh, you know, it's not getting, but no, it's uh, learning to shoot with long arms. I actually do believe is a, is a thing where you just, your forms probably changed over the last three years. If your arms have been growing, you're not doing the same motions. Your, your form's not the same. Your mechanics aren't going to be as repeatable because you're still learning how to use your body. He's a very young 19 years old. He's one of the younger players in the draft. I think he's somebody who he made the right decision. He's a lock in my opinion for 25 through 40. So curious what you think of Walsh. Yeah, I think you're a little higher on him than I am just because I hesitate to see offensive upside. I think like the intangibles, the knowing where to be, the effort, the the ability to rebound the ball, get a few steals, I believe in. But you're seeing so few players be one-dimensional and actually stay on the court. Like you can spin it the opposite way. Like Kevin Herter, for instance, is phenomenal offensively all year, couldn't stay on the court in the playoffs defensively. Isaac Okoro would be the defensive example. He He's so good defensively but really struggled to shoot. So my concern would be, can Walsh truly shoot? Because from what I saw at the Combine, I wasn't horribly impressed in terms of his shooting, but his activity levels were off the charts. And so you might as well take a swing at him in that same range that you listed because, you know, you can't teach the length. You can't teach the effort. So I have him 38, I think. Uh, Yep, I've got him 39, 39 right now. And I think he's someone that can move up just because the more I'll watch, the more I'll like the fact that he is always active. He's he's able to be unselfish. And he played in a team that really struggled to shoot the ball in general. So he became almost like a dare shooter at times. And that's really like dwindles your confidence. So I think I think he's a guy that could get consideration in the late first and I think likely goes at the beginning of the second. Yeah, let's do one more guy that I think was a big name that we have to talk about. And that's Julian Phillips out of Tennessee. Monster defender, shooting upside, the three-point percentages in the 20s, free throw percentage in the 80s. It's a weird 80-20 rule uh, that you probably uh, never thought it would be used in that way. Uh, totally kidding, but, you know, he uh, 80% from the line and 20%, 20-something percent from three just isn't a uh, – it's not a common combo. So I like him a lot. Number one athlete in terms of vertical at the combine, has good length, was one of the best defenders on an outstanding Tennessee team. What did you think of him staying in the draft? Win or lose for him? Uh, I think it's a win. Uh, I think Dylan Mitchell had more to do to convince scouts that he was worth the upside prognostication. Like if they're if they're going to be like, you had to squint your eyes to see it with Dylan Mitchell because at times you're like, what the heck is a six eight center going to do? And then all of a sudden he showed he hit those threes and you saw him just move. I made this comment to you numerous times about Dylan Mitchell. I was like, man, he just moves differently. And then. uh as for Julian Phillips, he didn't play, but you can see the shot looks significantly better. There's less to tinker with. Tennessee was the same situation as Texas, and I actually made a podcast about this very early in the year, that Tennessee had so many guys that were defensively oriented in large wings, like Josiah Jordan-James, Olivia Kamwa, 
a Jonas Adu, Tobe uh, Awaka, all these players make it so hard for a guy like Julian Phillips to stand out and show his full arsenal. So I think he's safely going to be a first round pick. I I really do. And so I think him staying in is going to be beneficial, especially because he'll be one of those guys that's viewed as the upside project. You can take it 25 through 30. You have the additional year with a first round pick guarantee. And so I think I think that's a big win for Julian Phillips. I would have loved to see him come back and maybe even transfer and go to like a, a school where he could be featured. But I think this will be beneficial for him. Yeah. And for those who don't know, he is 19 years old until early November. So very young, high upside, great defense. Going to find a way to get on the floor right away with that. Last one. And then we're going to close the show out. What was who or what was just the biggest surprise of of the draft withdrawal night like who is somebody that you were shocked to see kept their name in shocked that they withdrew let's actually just stay with keeping their name in who is your shock to see staying there staying in the draft uh i was less shocked about the who stayed in than who left i would say my my answer to that would probably have to be walsh and andre jackson Hmm. uh for different reasons Walsh, I I thought he would stay in, but as you saw players similar that I thought had better combines start to leave, that maybe he wouldn't stay in, and I just kind of second-guessed myself. And then Andre Jackson, because he's done everything in college basketball you can aspire to do. He was like the heartbeat of a championship team, but typically when there's a type of player like that, they just go full in. Like they're they're all the way in. They don't need the the representation, the agent to leave a, anything open for them to return. So the fact that he did and he played like solidly but unspectacularly at the combine, and still you didn't hear a peep, made me think about it as if he would. But I I would say no one really shocked me that stayed in. It was more who withdrew. Yeah, for me, I was honestly shocked that Jalen Clark stayed in. He's fat. He's fighting in. Uh, he's not fat. Sorry, I just slipped there. He's fighting. As between fighting between uh fighting and battling, a an Achilles injury, and for me, I thought if he went back to school, showed he was healthy, I think he could have done more. I think he's honestly bound for the G League, uh, right away, probably a two way guy. But like I know we've talked about this before. I just don't know what his defense is going or excuse me, what his offense is going to look like, how he scores in the NBA. I've had some concerns about that. I think he probably should have gone back to school. Uh, I'm not too shocked about Andre Jackson. I'd heard first round buzz. So that, that doesn't shock me. I mean, the intangibles with him are incredible. Just the the kind of teammate he is really has won a lot of people over. Plus he's like Josh Green white and Josh Green's improved himself this year. So that's, that's very much helped his stock. So I think he's somebody who I expected, but yeah, Jalen Clark, that really surprised me to see him staying in. I mean, especially after a Dem Bona return, I was really shocked to see that, but um, this has been Locked On NBA Big Board. We'll be back tomorrow. Raphael, I should say, will be back tomorrow. Uh, again, if if this is your first time listening, first of all, thank you very much. Second, we are covering everything daily for free with the NBA draft. There are three weeks from today till the NBA draft. And even after the draft, we're going to be covering stuff, whether it's a month, two months, we're going to be covering all the dirty work that nobody else is. We're the only show that's five days a week, 12 months of the year, 365 days. So thank you so much to every one of you who has listened. We look forward to, we we appreciate it. We look forward to having more in-depth conversations and everything in the next three weeks. Thank you so much and have a wonderful rest of your day.